0: Lead me to the cross seems pretty natural for followers of Jesus to say, but really that's quite an odd expression when you think about it. It's akin to saying, Lead me to the guillotine. Lead me to the gallows where I'll be hung. Lead me to the electric chair, to the gas chamber, to the table where I will be lethally injected. Lead me to the cross. You may have surmised by the number of songs that we have sung this morning about the cross that that is going to be the focus of our time together in the Word today, and indeed it is, along with the Scripture that you have already read. Let me ask you, what is the craziest thing that you've ever heard that turned out to be true? I mean, those of, some of you are, are, are old enough to remember when they said, we're going to put a man on the moon, and you thought, that's crazy. There are some people who still believe that we never did put a man on the moon. Those are the same people who believe that worldwide wrestling is true, you know, that it's, that it's legit. Strange. You may also remember uh, when it was said, you know, there's a pretty good chance that a Hollywood movie actor is going to be president of the United States, and you thought, that's crazy. Maybe in more recent times, you heard that somebody was going to run for student body president, and you said, that's ridiculous, and they won. He or she won, or maybe you've you heard that this guy's going to ask out this really hot girl, and you said, "Boy, this is going to be funny, and they 're married I mean you just it it, it it came true, you thought it was the craziest thing you 'd ever heard, and it came true well today we 're going to talk about what some people think is the craziest thing they 've ever heard the gospel for those of you who believe in Jesus. Doesn't seem crazy at all, but just stop for a minute and think about what it must sound like to someone who didn't grow up in church, someone who doesn't know about Jesus at all. And you tell them the gospel and they say, now, okay, wait, let let me get this straight. You believe that God was born as a peasant and he grew up, never did anything wrong, but the religious leaders had him put to death. Horribly beaten, beyond recognition even, and crucified. Three days later, He came back from the dead, no worse for the wear. And then He went up to heaven, where He sits at the hand of God, except that He is God. And there's another God, too, the Holy Spirit. And yet, all they're one. And one day, He's going to come back riding on a white horse. That's what you believe. Right. If you've never known about, heard about the gospel, it seems fully, that's the way it seemed to the people of the first century. The Greeks and the Jews will be talking about in a little bit. Well, we've been talking about the gospel for over five months here at Grace, so obviously we don't have a problem with that. We believe it to be true. The gospel doesn't make much sense before a person is saved, but after one comes to Jesus, he or she, she's it. Sees it for its brilliance. It is a brilliant plan of God, but it makes absolutely no sense to one who doesn't know Jesus. Let's look at the definition of the gospel that we have been following for these five plus months. The just and gracious God of the universe, in response to hopelessly sinful people, sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to live the life that we can't, To bear His wrath against sin on the cross and to show His power over sin and the resurrection so that all who respond to the Holy Spirit's call to repent and believe in Jesus will be reconciled or made right with God forever. Right at the center of this definition, right at the center of the gospel, right at the center of everything, right at the center of all history is the cross of Jesus Christ. That's going to be our focus today. Jesus is at the center of all scripture. He, he is the center to which all scripture points, particularly the cross of Jesus Christ. Our text today is 1 Corinthians 10, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 10 to 25. Typically we would stand here and read the word, but we've already read our text today. It is, however, a good time to stop and, and pray and ask the Lord's presence to be very real to us this morning. Let's, let's pray. <clears throat> Our Father, we know that you were here this morning. You have called us together, Jesus, to worship you as the church of which you are the head. We know that you are here and the Holy Spirit is opening our hearts and helping us understand your word and to, and to hear from you. And oddly, at the same time, we invite your presence. And as we do, we just are asking you, Lord, to open our hearts to receive your word. May the soil of our hearts Be soft and fertile, and may the seed produce what you have intended in each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this has not been a good week for us North Carolina Tar Heel fans, just not a good week at all. I mean, in addition to, to agent tampering with, with, with players, now we learned that maybe 10 or 12 players have cheated academically. They, they had a tutor write the paper for, and of course, it, that doesn't happen anywhere else. <laughs> Sour grapes, huh? But, and you know, it, it's a nightmare for the University of North Carolina, that, which prides itself on, on, on recruiting and academic integrity. And I've thought all these years as I've gone to the football games, like I've been, I bought season tickets for all these years, and finally this is the year that they're going to be great. But no, they're not going to be great. The thing that makes it so difficult for us Carolina fans is that we live in such close proximity to NC State and Duke fans, you know. Yeah, you're here amongst us, I, I, I understand that. And look, it's it it is trouble. I I was was talking with some of the athletic guys. I've been talking this week at Campbell, this weekend, this morning, and and it's you just don't know when it's going to hit you. But when it hits you, it's quite an embarrassment. And and of course, the Carolina, I mean, the state fans and the and and the Blue Devil fans, are are taking full advantage of this opportunity. Um, Yeah, but not the Wake Forest fans. What have you got to talk about? (laughs) i just i'm kidding max i'm <laughs> i'm sorry, max, <laughs> norma that was at max, not at you. I want to be able to eat at your house <laughs> again <clears throat> um. I suppose that one thing we could say, all of us different fans, uh, and and the great thing about being a Camel fan is that you can be a Camel fan and you can be like a state fan or a Duke or Carolina, and one of the things that unites us all is our love of of athletics. I mean, we just, we love athletics, but that's about it. I mean, if an NC State fan gives me a a state shirt or a hat or something as a joke, I'm going (laughs) to laugh all the way to the trash can, you know? I mean, I want to be identified with Carolina, not with state. And I don't want to perpetuate this stuff. I don't want to lead anybody else astray, so I'm not going to give it to goodwill. I'm just going to the trash can, you know? It's the way it is. But 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 it's just all in fun. And look, I just happen to be the guy up here, and I'll hear it from you afterwards, and rightly so. I mean, it's your, your turn to give me a hard time. But it's all in fun for most of us anyway. It, it, it's much more... Serious when people differ over philosophies of business or or politics or religions. We we can be civil with those uh, that we have differences, with whom we have differences, but, but the lines that are drawn are deeper. They're more discernible and they're more serious when we start differing in those areas. What about the church? Well, a good bit of the New Testament tells us that the walls that would naturally divide us have been broken down in Jesus, Jews and Gentiles, men and women, slave and free. That may not be such a big deal to us, but it was a big deal in the first century. We have other things that separate us that are a big deal in the church sometimes. But according to Colossians 3.10, all of these distinctions are no longer significant. There are no differences between us. Jesus breaks down the barriers, enabling genuine relationship to flourish, not only with Him, but with one another. Because of those broken down walls. The gospel of Jesus does that for us. just wasn't so at Corinth. The people at the church in Corinth were, as we have seen in these last few weeks, struggling to get along with one another. You know, when I decided several weeks ago to preach from this text on this day, my f- intention was to just just to preach about the centrality of the co- cross in the gospel. I really didn't plan to talk about unity. My goodness, we've been talking about unity for about 4 or 5 weeks in a row now. But you can't separate versus 10 through 17, from 18 to 25. You can't just, you can't just jump in at 18. The, the talk about the need for unity in the church just flows right into the cross, and the cross speaks to the struggles that they were having in Corinth. <clears throat> at Corinth, it was much worse than saying, All right, Carolina fans here, Duke fans here, State fans over here. It was way worse than that. People were lining up behind men, and, and, and as they did so, behind these particular preachers, And as they did so, they were dividing from everybody else. All right, everybody that's for Paul, get over here. Or for Apollos over there, or Cephas, who who is Peter. Over here. And some, apparently, were pulling the really spiritual card and saying, well, I'm following Jesus. Now, obviously, that's the goal, that we all follow Jesus. But according to the way these people were doing that, it, it was just part of the competition that was going on. It wasn't really that they were being that spiritual. They just were trying to project this spirituality. Paul addressed very directly those who wanted to use his name to divide themselves from everybody else and and to claim spiritual superiority over others. Was I crucified for you, Paul said? Were you baptized in my name? (laughs) obviously the answer is no of course not to be baptized in the name of someone was to give your complete full and complete allegiance to that person when i was baptized for the first time when i was about eight years old i've been under four times so if that'll get you there i'm first in line Strange life, I'll I'll tell you about it some other time maybe. But the first time I was baptized, it's because all my friends were going to get baptized. So I went and joined the church. And you're allowed to do that in the Baptist church. You know, and they would stand up there and and say, Little Brad comes today to join us upon his profession of faith. All in favor say, Aye. And of course they would all say, Aye. And he would say, All opposed like sign, the motion is carried. Never gave anybody a chance to object. And I always wanted to. Just wanted to say, no, just to see what would happen. (laughs) But you didn't get a chance to, and and, and baptism didn't mean anything to me. Didn't mean anything to me. But when you trust Jesus, and when you are baptized in his name, you are are giving your complete allegiance to him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Paul said, you weren't baptized in my name. Don't line up behind me. You've got this wrong. Hey! I didn't baptize hardly any of you anyway, just a couple of you. Oh, yeah, then there was this other family. Isn't that interesting the way Scripture was written? You know, Paul's, the Lord is just taking Paul's mind along a track. And he says, okay, yeah, Stephan is too. I forgot about his family. but, 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 But the point is, it's not about baptism. It's about the preaching of the gospel. Now, Let me just say this. Paul was not saying that baptism was unimportant. If you read Romans 6, verses 3 and 4, you cannot conclude that. Baptism is vitally important in our identity with Jesus Christ. It seems clear to me, though, although it wouldn't seem as clear to other people, it seems clear to me that Paul is saying that baptism is not a part of the gospel that leads us to salvation. It follows... (coughs) Baptism follows... (coughs) profession, just as naturally as the night follows the day and the day follows the night. But it's not a part <coughs> of the gospel <coughs> that brings us salvation. You'll, you'll talk more about that in home groups this week. And by the way, if you're here for the first, second, or third time and you're checking out Grace Community Church, you really don't have a great feel for it. Unless you are also checking out the home groups. we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks uh, pretty extensively. What it means to be connected with a home group, that type of thing. So I want to encourage you to get in there. And we'll be following along this year as we go through the Gospel of, uh, or excuse me, the Book of Acts um, where we will find, by the way, that it was inconceivable for the for the early church to to think that a person could be saved but not to be baptized. And as we go through the book of Acts, we'll be following up in our our home groups and getting the full impact of that scripture. We've got ten of them right now from Bowie's Creek to Fuquay, and would love for you to be involved with us. Well. What, what Paul was saying about baptism is <clears throat> that when you're baptized in the name of Jesus, He's the one you're to follow. But the Corinthians were using bapti- baptism excuse me, to line up behind these people and say, Hey, this is the right way over here. Come over here and follow us. Paul was saying, though, there's no power in this group or that group. The power is in the cross. It's in the cross of Jesus. Now, now the cross just doesn't make sense to the world. In fact, while the Corinthians were dividing up into these four groups, Paul was saying it's much simpler than that. People are divided into two groups. Those who follow Jesus, those who don't. Those who understand the cross, those who think it is ridiculous. The cross is right in the middle, and it divides people. Those over here say, say, that is ridiculous. And those over here say, oh, Oh, I am so grateful, Jesus, that you made a way for my sin to be forgiven and for me to live eternally with you. Utter nonsense. Salvation. Two groups. When you think about it, the cross really doesn't make much sense at all before you trust Jesus. It doesn't make much sense until you believe. The world says... Show me, God, that you exist and I will believe. The Lord says, believe me, and I will show you. John 7:17. 7, now you that's a verse that you need to become familiar with. When you're talking to people who think this is just utterly ridiculous, you need to know about this verse and talk to them and say, you know, <clears throat> Jesus said, if you'll just believe, if you'll obey, the words that I tell you to do, you'll know whether I'm speaking merely as a man or whether I've been sent from God. <clears throat> I was on the plane, Allison and I, when we were going to Australia, we sat next to this guy named Tim. He's part of a, a chamber, little chamber group called Eighth Blackbird. Interesting group. I checked him out on YouTube. Really interesting group. Uh, different kind of group. But this guy, Tim, uh, quite a bright Guy and we started talking about the Lord. We had like two or three hour conversation as we were just beginning this ridiculously long flight to Sydney, Australia. I can't believe I'm off it already. Um, but <clears throat> we were talking and and, and we got and, and we came along to this point and I said, you know, <clears throat> people want God to prove Himself, but the Lord says, if you will believe, I'll show you. He says that makes perfect sense. And this happened two or three times. He was like making my points for me, and I was saying, yeah. You know, we didn't get to the place of him making a profession, but he was saying music is that way. Logically, you can see it on paper, but it just doesn't make much sense to you until you commit yourself to it, and then you begin to see how it moves. And that's the way the gospel is. It's, it's, it's brilliantly logical, but it doesn't make any sense at all if you have not committed yourself to it. It's just the way it is. <clears throat> In our text, Paul addressed both the religious Jews and the philosophical Greeks. Corinth was just 10 or 11 miles down the road from Athens, which was the world headquarters for philosophical debate and views, views of life. But the church was modeled after the Jewish synagogue, and there were Jewish believers in the church, so both Jerusalem and Athens had something to say to the church at Corinth, debate was a way of life in Corinth. But the gospel of the cross is different than the thought processes of the world, whether it's the religious world or the philosophical world. Jews wanted to see God's power before they would believe. They wanted a Messiah who would, very much like Moses had, lead them out of captivity into the promised land. And they wanted, even though they lived in, in Jerusalem, they were under the, the heel of Rome. And they wanted God to do something like the ten plagues or, or drown the army in the Red Sea. They wanted to see something like that before they would believe. Greeks wanted to make sense of God's plan. They said, look, you, you got to make sense of this. For the Jews, a crucified Messiah was an oxymoron. A Messiah crucified? Impossible. For Greeks, who would not even speak of crucifixion in polite company? I mean, if somebody said, did you see that crucifixion the other day? Everything would go silent. It's kind of like, did I say something wrong? That's a social faux pas. You just can't do that. For Greeks, the cross was just ridiculous. They wanted to be convinced of truth through powerful rhetoric, argument, and persuasive skills of the person promoting a particular way of life. God offered the foolishness of preaching or the word of the cross, Once again, Paul talked about this new division. The old division in the world was Jews and Gentiles. The new division is between those who follow Jesus and those who don't. And if you're a mock for your belief, and isn't that one of the reasons that we, we're so reluctant to share Christ with the world because we're going to think that people will think we are as crazy as the thing that we believe. And they're just going to think, well, that's just ridiculous, I'm not going to do that. Or, they may think, you know, you're on this side of the cross. I'm on this side of the cross. And you're trying to tell me that if I'm not on your side of the cross, that I'm going to die and go to hell for eternity? And in all honesty, you have to say, yeah, that's what I believe. I, mean, I say it with a broken heart. With, with a, I'm not saying it arrogantly. But that's hard to say to people. But just remember, when people mock you for your belief or they're angry with you, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than the mightiest man. In context, the placement of the cross in the center of the gospel is why there is no room for division in the church and the cross is a perfect place to find unity because when we take up our cross and follow Jesus as we're commanded to do, there's little room for division. It's interesting, it, it, and I can't remember which side of the cross I've got us, the believers on and the non-believers. I know that you're listening intently and wanting to make sure you're on the right side of the middle of the room. But all right, let's say the believers are over here and the unbelievers are over here. The non-believers are like this, and they're all over the place. Those who followed Jesus, though, were huddled up next to the cross. And what was happening in Corinth was, you know, all right, I'm over here, I'm over here. And it's a contradiction. It's a contradiction. I mean, when you're on the cross, your focus is where it needs to be on Jesus. What what are we going to say? You know, you're hanging on a cross and you say, Hey, I don't like the way you're hanging on your cross. I mean, that's silly. It's absurd. It's, it's the same kind of absurdity that Paul was saying, was I crucified for you? Were you baptized in my name? Or, or if you're carrying your cross cross up the hill, say, hey, you look ridiculous carrying your cross that way. How are you going to be properly crucified if you can't even carry your cross up the hill the right way? We don't say those things when we die to ourselves. When we die on the cross. When we assume Jesus' cross, when we take His cross upon ourselves, we live the gospel. What is the gospel? One more time, here's our definition. The just and gracious God of the universe, in response to hopelessly sinful people, sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to live the life that we can, and that has implications far beyond our initial salvation in relationship with the Lord to bear His wrath against sin on the cross and to show His power over sin in the resurrection so that all who respond to the Holy Spirit's call to repent and believe in Jesus will be reconciled to God forever. Jesus died for us, and in so doing, He took our sin upon Himself, the sin that had separated us from a holy God. He did that after he had lived a perfect life by keeping the law in every point. We were unable to do that because we inherited sin from our parents. But then we sin at every possible, at the first possible moment. We become willing sinners as soon as we possibly can. I picked up my precious 13-month-old granddaughter last night. And I was, you know, doing the uh, kind of stuff. And that precious little thing, wham, slapped me, right, you know. And grabbed at my glasses, but it was more than just grabbing at my glasses, you know. She, she was hitting me. My, my dad, my uncle, both had heart attacks in their mid-60s. Genetically, there's nothing I can do. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm heading down that road. But then yesterday I had a cheeseburger at Five Guys Burger and French fries. And I'm contributing to the thing that's already in place. And so we can't live this life because we inherited sin from our parents, but then we're sinners we're in choice, by choice, all along the way. One sin ruins perfection. so think about it Jesus lived the life that we can't and then died on the cross that we might live when we yield to the cross we die to ourselves and Jesus lives through us a life that we'll never be able to live in our own strength Behavior modification in the Christian life is not the goal. We can say, I'm not going to do this, this, and this, and and that's all helpful. But look, it's impossible to live this life before or after you're saved. If Jesus doesn't live it through you, you don't have much choice. We don't have any chance, really, of living this life. So better to die to ourselves and let him live, as we've said many times in this presentation of the gospel, this study of the gospel. It's not about better behaving. It's about better believing. What did you change in your behavior to get saved? Nothing, because there's nothing you can do. What do you change afterwards? Well, there's a lot that changes, but it changes through the process of belief. Our salvation and our sanctification, both relationship that begins with Jesus and then the one that as we are changed day by day spiritual growth happens as we believe that's why it's so important to stay in the word I mean I've noticed that I don't change much apart from the word I can pray I can say I'm going to do this this and the other but when I read the word there's just something going on it's a life giving Well, the spirit and the word are almost inseparable and as the Word takes root in my heart and mind, the Spirit enables me to live in the way that God has commanded. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, by faith, by believing in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I, I think I wrote that, and give himself for me. That's, you know, from my earlier days, I suppose. I, missed, I, I just recognized that I did that. Now, once again, Jesus lived the life I am incapable of living. And then he died as the perfect substitute in order that I could have eternal life. Now that I follow him, as I yield to the cross, I die to myself in order to make room for him to live the life through me that I want to live, but I am utterly incapable of living in my own strength. The cross is truly at the center of the gospel, and the gospel is all of life for the follower of Jesus. Where is it found? It's found in all of Scripture. Whenever we read the Word, we're reading the Gospel. Everything points to the cross of Jesus. As we close, I, I want to just tell you about, about two things that sort of are are, are, are are sort of an application to what we've been talking about. First, I want you to know that we're going to be Beginning our study of Acts, it's going to last probably sometime through the summer uh, next year. Beginning that September 19th. The title of the series is going to be called Acts, Advancing the Gospel, Then and Now. The gospel that we have been talking about for over five months in these four walls and in the homes of the different home groups that we've had needs to move outside of these four walls. Wouldn't you agree with that? We need to be sharing this incredible news with those who need to hear it. Well, in the book of Acts, we're going to be reminded over and over how God advances His kingdom through us sharing the gospel, through outreach, through evangelism. Well, the second thing I want to share with you is another calendar item that comes much sooner. If so if it comes sooner than September 19 is on our heels. It's this Wednesday night, September 1st. Our church is going to gather here after a day of fasting for prayer. Now, in preparation for this, you should have been fasting already two or three di- No, I'm just kidding. Some of you will fast at a longer period of time than others of you will. But we want to come together <clears throat> after we've been fasting to pray, whether that means fasting from one meal or two or three days. A lot of people will begin their fast on Tuesday night after dinner, and then it will conclude after after the um, session on Wednesday night. So it's like a 24-hour fast, which was pretty typical for the Jews. Now, they would do that for several days um, sometimes, but a typical fast is like a 24. It's after one meal, and then you take that meal, the next day, so it's somewhere in that neighborhood, but you may be led to to fast two or three days or even longer, why fast, well first of all, even though scripture does not command it in the New Testament, we're not commanded in the New Testament to fast, but Jesus expects his followers to fast, he says, when you fast, do this or do that, so the command is implicit, it's not specific explicit, but it is implicit. We, we we infer that Jesus expects us to fast, and to fast and pray. Also, fasting indicates a commitment of focus and, and an understanding of the seriousness of the things that, that you're praying about, the requests that you're making to God. Fasting is always accompanied with prayer. I mean, your heart and mind is focused, and, and as your stomach growls, you know, you say, Lord, I my focus is on you. And then last of all, there, there's a hint of the cross. Well, really there's more than a hint of the cross in fasting. It's a denial of self for spiritual purposes. a denial of self in order that God might be exalted and given the place of priority in our lives. So as we come together Wednesday night at, 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 at 6.30 here in this auditorium, To pray. We're going to be praying about three things, and please be praying about these three things through the week, and they all have to do with the gospel. The first is the advance of the gospel. If the gospel is the wisdom of God, it doesn't matter how foolish the world thinks it is, we've got to share it. The way that God has designed to call people to Himself is for us to share the gospel. And if nobody had shared it, if they had just sat on it, you wouldn't, we wouldn't be here today. So, and in the book of Acts, we'll see this over and over. They meet together for prayer that the gospel may spread. And if we're going to be witnessing, we need to be praying for God to do His work. Because all we are is the messenger. We have nothing to do whether or not a person believes. That's all up to God. And we need to be asking Him to make the most of our efforts while we share the good news. Second, we're going to pray about the unity of believers in the gospel. If Jesus tore down all the walls of separation, then we need to be unified as we share the good news to the world, because they're looking at us to see how we get along, and that determines, sometimes that determines their response to the gospel. And last, we're going to pray about the support of the gospel, or our financial situation at grace and we need to pray about this in the best of times in the leanest of times we're in one of those lean times here at grace so we're going to be praying about that god has chosen to shout his message to the world through the church i was the director of tvr teen valley ranch we called it in in that day it's tvr now tried 20 years to change the name but never could so we just shorten it to TVR. What, a, what an awesome place. As Chad was praying about that. I was just thinking about the way the Lord just uses that little spot in the mountains. <clears throat> and when I was there, camp director, people would come in and they would say things like, you know, I got out of the car and the Holy Spirit put his arms around me. I walked down, and Jesus met me at the door. I mean, it's just like you just sense the Lord's presence. And it really is. It doesn't matter who's there. People have come and gone over the years. And it's just like the the, the Holy Spirit just hovers in that high valley at 3,000 feet. Beautiful. So if you a couple, go to that retreat at the end of September. And all those years, people would say things to me like, you know, I... Um, I Things are not so great at my church, but I really feel close to the Lord here. And I would say, you know, places like TVR, Team Valley, come and go. It's, this doesn't have to survive. The church has to survive. In fact, we're told the gates of hell will not prevail against it. All those years as a camp director, I understood. The church is the instrument, it's it's God's living organism through which the gospel is disseminated. And the proclamation of the gospel, which is everything in this book from Genesis to Revelation, is an important part of the advance and the spread of the gospel. And so we have to support, first and foremost, this place and what God does is doing here. It's also difficult for us to do our part in advancing the gospel around the world when we have to cut our missionaries in half. We need to pray about this. And we, we've had to do that. We've, we've done it for the last two months. We've cut them in half. So we're going to pray about the finances here at Grace. And, and really what we're praying about is the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. Students, we want to invite as many of you as will. Scott has already invited to join us on Wednesday night. And if you've never fasted before, if you're a student, adult, doesn't matter, could I encourage you maybe just as a first time to, to after breakfast on Wednesday, just refrain from eating. Don't eat lunch, and then you can get something to eat after we meet here together on Wednesday night. Or for some of you, um, it may mean giving up your afternoon snack. You know that's that's your idea of fasting. But look, take just just start easy. If you don't think you can do this, start easy and say, Lord, help me to do this. I'm just gonna I'm not gonna eat lunch, and and then after we meet together, or if you can't be here, you would very much like to be here. At least participate with us in this as much of a 24-hour fast as you possibly can, and pray about these things. We'll be sending this list around to the, to the church family uh, this week. So please join us as we pray about our response as a church to the gospel. Well, I'm going to close in prayer, and Mike Moneypenny is going to come and talk about our benevolence, Fund, we take an offering at the end of every month, and we are committed to doing this in spite of what the specific needs are of the church. Look, there are people in the church who have great need, and we're and outside of the church who are coming to us all the time. Can you please help me? One of the ways that we share the gospel, both within the community and outside the community, is to help people in need. And then um, the worship team is going to lead us back to the cross. Let's pray. Our Father, we um, confess that we don't think much about your cross. We, we think about survival in this world and, 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 and the cross. And, and, and that survival comes in many ways, economically and physically and, and spiritually and socially. We're protecting <laughs> and, and, and the cross is is the exact opposite of protection. It's, it's the ultimate contradiction to survival. And Lord, you've called us to the cross. As we gaze at the cross of Jesus, may we be drawn in recognizing that the only way to truly live is to die. And may we do so willingly. And may we, as the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 6.14, find glory in the cross. It's the only place we'll boast. And may we find life. In Jesus' name.